I'm Jules Rivera, and this is Who I Am. artist and creator Jules Rivera, whose works include Valkyrie Squadron and Misfortune High. Jules, welcome to the show. Hi, Jamie. It's great to be here. And welcome to the garage. It's uh, it's a little cold to be here, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll get myself some warm tea after this. I'll be good. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 can, I can actually provide warm tea. I, will, uh, that's I mean, you are British, so I, know, I, exactly. I didn't want to ask. I figured that would be profiling, but <laughs> I did wonder about that. <laughs> At some stage, I promise I will get a heater in there, not that that affects you because you're here now and it's cold um but yeah welcome um so you are a animator comic book artist comic book creator comic book colorer comic book letterer uh yeah and now professor and now professor <laughs> it's like <I> have <laughs> the most ridiculous resume uh yeah i recently started teaching a storyboard class over at uh, california lutheran university and uh, that's been a really cool thing starting to you know get into more into teaching and adding that to my uh, my schedule. So, I mean, the good news about starting teaching is that it'll afford me a little more, um, you know, support in terms of doing my own projects. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you work two days a week, you can spend the other three days working on other stuff. So uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, getting my webcomic Valkyrie Squadron rolling a lot harder soon. Um, I'm also working on a uh, project for Paper Cuts Mattel. It is of the blonde one. She who cannot be named, but uh, I, I'm really having a great time working on this project. This is actually my second project that I've been uh, working on for Barbie comics, and uh, it's very exciting stuff. A lot of good stuff is going on right now. Oh, 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 and um, then there's uh, coloring a uh, project with um, Rich Dueck and Joe Mulvey mm -hmm. and Zach, the letterer guy. I don't know the last <laughs> name. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm sorry. I just met the guy. I'm not that good with names, but um, yeah, I've been working on a uh, it's a high kind of a high fantasy project. Mm -hmm. So it's my first time working in something that's really just straight high fantasy, where there's magic spells and uh, you know crazy stuff going on, and it's it's gonna be a really cool project. Uh, hopefully, it'll expand into an even bigger thing later on. But uh, you know, we'll see. Sometimes these things have a way of working out, and sometimes eh, I don't know, whatever. Hmm. Are yeah. you still doing Misfortune High as well? Uh, Misfortune High is kind of on the back burner right now because I let Valkyrie go by the wage side for so long. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently working on getting Valkyrie going again. And once I get that going again, then I will get Misfortune High uh, some some papers too because, you know, a lot of people have been asking about that. Mm -hmm. It was a great story. Um, for those of you who don't know, Misfortune High is the uh, third graphic novel series that I put out, and it's the story of a rich wizard kid who goes to a fancy magic school but gets expelled for cheating and lying. And as punishment, his father sends him to a magic school in the ghetto. And uh, a lot, like, there were two Kickstarters that I did, one for book one and one for book two, mm -hmm. and they did very well. Uh, Misfortune High is also signed with a publisher right now, so, uh, and I, I don't want to make too many announcements on that one yet until mm -hmm. I actually have more uh, more plans going forward. But it is signed with a publisher, and I'm sure they would love to see more books out of me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, again, coming back to the professor thing, this is one more reason why I would be good to work on uh, my own stuff. So, uh, yeah, Misfortune High is a uh, book that uh, is near and dear to my heart because I was a... I was a young brown kid who went to crappy schools growing up, and um, even though, you know, I was a smart person with a lot of potential, 
the school system didn't quite see fit to treat me that way. Mm. So uh, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I exist despite the system, not because of it. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Did you grow up here or in Florida? I grew up in uh, Florida. I was originally born in the Bronx, mm-hmm. which I think is an important thing to tell people because if I say something untowards to them, then, you know, you don't take it personal. I'm from the Bronx, right? We just say stuff, <laughs> right? Sorry in advance. You know, I'm going to say some things that are going to ruffle your feathers and you're not going to be too happy with me. But, you know, honesty is the best policy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, uh, my mother moved me to Florida at a young age. And uh, I grew up there. And Florida's education system is uh, not so great. I'll give you an idea of how uh, not so great it is. Um, roughly in my same age range, uh, famous people from Orlando include George Zimmerman and Casey Anthony. So, <laughs> yeah, that gives you an idea of what I, what I got to work with here. All right. And those are people with white privilege. Mm-hmm. So who even knows how, how would you even describe people with even less to go on than than, you know, folks with everything going for them and then until no not really so going back to valkyrie squadron valkyrie squadron that is my second graphic novel series mm-hmm. uh I'm, i released it on the web i did not sign it with a publisher because i thought well there's only like six pages of this thing done at the time so i thought eh, let me hold off on uh on signing it with anybody until I actually get more pages down and get more of a rhythm of creating it because I didn't want to sign and then not be able to deliver. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, Valkyrie Squadron is a story of a team of lady space fighters in a war against robot drones. The drones are making entire colonies of people disappear and it's up to the Valkyries to figure out where these people are going and if they can be saved. So that has, and, and actually if you follow me on Instagram, Jules Rivera art, uh, you could actually see the Valkyrie dailies, which I've started posting and showing people, hey, this thing is not dead. I promise. Pro- progress is moving forward, even though I'm only sending, you know, out a screenshot a day. Just one little snapshot. But it's enough to let people know, hey, it's it's moving along. Stuff's going on. And mm-hmm. that's really cool. So, uh, yeah, it's been a very high demand project for me. Um, in terms of going to shows and whatnot, because people, they see the, you know, the cover artwork that, you know, it's all painted. Unlike Miss Fortune High, which had an illustrated cover, which was, um, I believe that was markers on vellum mixed with some digital trickery. And um, Valkyrie's covers are painted. In fact, I actually did a gouache painting for the new cover Mm -hmm. for the uh, issue that I'm hoping to put out probably by April, um, just in time for the Denver Independent Comics Show. It's dink, but I don't know what the numbers mean. I mean, the actual letters mean. I'm sorry. I suck with acronyms. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that show's coming up in early April, and I'm pleased to be attending it for the first time. I think it's going to be really exciting. And I've never actually been to the city of Denver. Yeah. I've I've not done a show outside. Oh, no, I did um, Emerald City. That's the furthest I've gone. Are you going up to Emerald City this year? I'm not. I I can't get in anymore. I don't think I'm uh, cool enough anymore. Or well, ever was. Well, I'm not that cool either, but I at least got a pro badge, so I, oh, nice. I figure I'll just uh, show up, walk around, check out the show, see what's going on. But yeah, actually getting a table down at Emerald City takes like a young priest and an old priest and a miracle and a unicorn or mm-hmm. something. Like, <laughs> I would argue that it's even harder to get into Emerald City than it than it is to get into San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, wow. Yeah, because um, at least in San Diego, their small press mm-hmm. area is not too hot, too demanding in terms of getting in, but in terms of um, you know, Emerald City, I'm like the deadline is always something that happened yesterday. And I'm like, man, this is hard. I can't get a table for Emerald City. That's okay. I'd rather spend some time building up my uh, my collections of new books and new material <clears throat> before I start going back on the road. Yeah. 
which is what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing Valkyrie Squadron now? Uh, well, I did. I had a first attack at it from between 2011 and 2000 to 2013. Mm-hmm. Then I put it on hold for a little while because I figured, um, you know, I a couple things happened. First, I um, I had kind of a bit of a breakdown with it. I felt like the story I was telling it wasn't is as strong as it could have been, and I felt like now nah, I can do this better. And I know a lot of fans they ask, well, is the new reboot going to be in the new universe and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait, wait. <laughs> sure, new universe, whatever, <laughs> parallel, string theory. Um, and um, the second thing that happened was I had to take on a lot more full-time freelance work because I had a personal crisis go down. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of big changes happened. I ended up moving back to Florida for a couple of years. And, uh, I mean, I just recently got back to Los Angeles in April of last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm fairly fresh back. So, you know, the combination of those two things set me back a bit. But, um, you know, I've got new scripts. I've got a new direction for the story. And it's going to be so dope. You guys are going to love it. <laughs> Especially if you love sci-fi stories with actual color in it. Because, I mean, these days, everyone wants to do a sci-fi story, but especially, like, in the movies and stuff, nobody likes color. Mm. Everyone's all, no, it's got to be gray, or else you can't be taken seriously. And I'm like, I have neon green hair, and Mm -hmm. if you don't take me seriously, I promise you'll regret it, all right? (laughs) Just because something is colorful, it doesn't mean you should underestimate it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you're right. It seems like at the moment, um, there seems to be a... uh, Sci-fi has become, like, the go-to smart independent thing to do it's like the oh yeah no i'm gonna make a low budget smart sci-fi movie or i'm gonna write a smart sci-fi series or i'm gonna create a smart uh, sci-fi comic and it's did hollywood get that memo because there's a lot of dumb sci-fi that comes out from hollywood (laughs) i don't know man like smart oh well he he air quoted that smart (laughs) smart eat smart smart for smart for people who want to feel smart you're like i'm gonna write a sci-fi story it's going to be great. I just wanted to make a space story about women in space shooting things with lasers, all right? <laughs> Basically, Lady Star Wars. I mean, that's all I really wanted to do because I didn't see anything like that. Like, I was weaned on um, on 80s anime, and there were actually a lot of girl team shows, mm-hmm. uh, the most prominent of which is Bubblegum Crisis. And that show rocked my world because you saw these women in these cybernetic suits, and they were so amazing. They would just go bouncing around on buildings and fight giant monsters and shoot missiles and crap. And I'm like, this is the best show ever. I mean, okay, yeah, it had its cheesecake moments, but it's, you know, it's anime, whatever. You, mm-hmm. just, take it what, you just take what you can get. Um, but... Um, <clears throat> But uh, stuff like that, I just noticed uh, a few years back that nobody was doing that. I was like, why is nobody doing that? That's not good. And then I had a conversation with my sister. Back then, my niece would have been probably about seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And um, my sister said, yeah, you know, we were going to take uh, the little girl to the uh, comic book shop. And we did, but she wasn't able to find anything for herself. Obviously, this, the landscape has changed dramatically in the last five years, mm-hmm. uh, especially with, um, I mean, all sorts of really great stars have been made. Princeless, um, what else? Um, like Batgirl of Burnside, Spider-Gwen, what else? There, I mean, there's a, a ton of titles. Lumberjanes mm-hmm. that have come out that are kind of, that have more girls in the And oh yeah, everything Raina Tegelmeyer does. I mean, that woman is crushing it. Yeah. Everybody wants to be all, oh, I want to work for Big Dude. But I'm like, no, I want to do what Raina Tegelmeyer's doing because she is busting up the New York Times bestseller list with everything she does. Mm-hmm. And at any given time, she'll have at least 
like five or six books up there. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, that is some serious business. Like that is where you want to be. Yeah. And you, you can know? find them anywhere as well. That's the you can find them thing. anywhere. They you're not uh, you're not a um, hostage to Diamond distribution. And not that I have anything against Diamond, but Diamond has a very limited distribution network mm-hmm. versus a, net, a distro network that would put your books in all kinds of different stores. That's why I like working on the books that I do for Mattel, because they have a really wide distro network. People will be able to see it and little girls will be able to see my artwork and read the books and have a lot of fun with it. You know, I'm all about reaching a bigger audience, Mm -hmm. which is actually why I uh, switched from doing kind of more, um, I guess, mature comics. They weren't mature. They were totally violent and stupid. But (laughs) I, I stopped doing more, I guess, teen to mature rated comics to do more all ages books. So I don't have to turn kids away from my table. So if mm-hmm. a kid shows up and goes, I want to read your book. I'd be like, here you go. So um, what was the first book that you did? You said, uh, Oh, it was okay. a web. It was a cyberpunk web comic that I did. Um, like way back when I think I started in like 2006 and mm-hmm. I concluded it in 2010, just before the start of Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I mean, you know, it was baby's first comic, you know, it's everything you can expect <laughs> from that. Um, but I've realized that ever since I've done my first piece and moved on to bigger, better pieces, I'm like, oh, actually, I'm getting better at this whole being a creator thing. I'm actually putting out better work than, than I have in the past, and this is, this is really good. It's, it's a good direction. I hope that um, your listeners can understand that, yes, you may be hung up on your first book, but do it, get it done, and once it's behind you, you start as the next thing. And once you start your next thing, you'll find that you can do even more amazing things than you did the first time around because you learn from your mistakes and everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes the first time around. Yeah. So um, I think that's the big learning thing that I had with uh, putting out multiple series. For sure. Mm-hmm. Do you like webcomics? Is that a format that you prefer or are you, are you shifting away from that now? With I like webcomics for, um, you know, for releasing material directly to the audiences you know, I, I'm not beholden to a publisher where the publisher says, no, we have to hit our release date of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's fine. It's not that I don't respect that. It's just when I have a hot new page, I can just go, here, internet. And then they can just read it and go, oh, that is a new page. You put that out. That's really cool. <laughs> so I like webcomics for directly reaching the audience. The only problem is that when you self-publish, you kind of have to get over this hump that people believe you have no credibility. Like, oh, you don't have a publisher, so you're... You must not be, um, you know, you must not be very credible. You must not be very experienced. And I've just realized that, no, not necessarily. There's a lot of really awesome, experienced creators putting out webcomics all the time, but they just don't want to put this particular property through a publisher for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like I said, with Valkyrie, I didn't have enough pages um, done in order to uh, promise anything to a publisher. I didn't think that was fair to either one of us. So um, I, I just kind of held off. If, if a publisher would approach me, you know, down the road and say, hey, we love this story. We would love to publish it in volumes. Then sure, I'm sure we can talk about something. But I still want to keep releasing it as a webcomic. Mm-hmm. You know. So you started, you said um, anime was, was big when you were younger. And how did you shift into comics from there? Okay, well, I first discovered webcomics probably in the early 2000s. A friend of mine went with me to this one um, local anime convention in Florida, and I had seen that there were people who put out their own books. 
and telling their own stories. Like one of the very first creators I met was Gina Biggs. She now does Love Not Found, which is a really fun sci-fi webcomic. I know we, we air quoted smart, but this actually is a smart webcomic. It's a very interesting story about a young woman who wants to experience love with more of a physical slant in a world where physical touching is not really a thing. So uh, it's very interesting how that gets explored. So I first saw these webcomics. I mean, these comics, they weren't webcomics, they were printed comics, but they were just independent. And I was like, wait a minute, I have ideas. I didn't know that I could just carry this out myself. I thought you needed an entire team of people to do a comic. And well, to, you know, do it right and fast and on time that, yeah, you, you kind of do. But it is still possible for an independent creator to put out their own work, their own message, their own ideas, unfiltered without too much uh you know editorial intervention which is not to say editorial intervention is bad let me tell you <laughs> something an editor can really save you from a nasty mess and uh you know i appreciate everything a good editor can do for me but um i just saw that this was just a thing i could do and i thought that's wild and cool so that led me into looking into looking up some of the web pages for these independent comics mm -hmm. and then i would see oh my gosh these people are just doing this they're putting these pages on the web. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like people have told me about Mega Tokyo and other stuff from the late early um, aughts, I guess. But uh, I didn't really think that it was something that I could do. But then when I got it in my head that it was, then I was like, all right, we're, we're going to try this. We're going to do this thing. It's going to be interesting. And uh, yeah, I guess, um, well, that was actually my first webcomic experience started way, way, way back in like 2003. But um, yeah, I guess like 14 years later, here I'm, I'm still doing it. I, I've just, I guess I've gotten a lot better at it and better at marketing it. And I'm, I'm a more established name, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, with, uh, wait, on those early shows that you went to, were there a lot of female creators around then that you felt like it was like a movement that was waiting to happen that, that people needed to be convinced that female creators were legitimate or... Uh, no, I just thought, independent comics, I can do this thing. And, like, nobody told me no. Mm -hmm. That's the thing with independent comics. People, I think people in the independent comics world, they're very supportive of each other. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, not, they're, not like the main, they're not like other places where, you know, people would say, oh, well, you know, that story is not really for us. Or, oh, well, you know, I don't really think that's good for this publisher. I mean, mainstream publishers, they have their agenda and they have the kind of staple of books that they want to put out. And that's fine. I respect that. But in the independence world, there are no rules. Mm -hmm. So who's going to say that what you're doing is wrong? Because what rules? Ah, it's a big crazy wasteland out there and everybody's just doing their own thing. And it's, it's great. I, I didn't think that, I didn't feel unsupported because I was a woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, I felt unsupported because I was an independent artist and I didn't have a lot of art friends at the time. Yeah. But... I don't feel like I was ever unsupported because, oh, well, you know, girls can't do the thing. I mean, nobody has ever dared to say that to my <laughs> face. I'm a pretty scary looking chick, guys. I mean, you know, I, I look like a very scary chola to most people. Although I'm not, I'm Puerto Rican. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like nobody, I mean, I think I've gotten into a couple of scuffles at, at conventions, but it's really more about, you know, fanboys just not understanding that, I'm just no one to be trifled with, mm -hmm. you know, like, why would you mess with a woman with a giant snake tattoo? Why do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> but that happens so rarely that, you know, I wouldn't even call it a really recurring problem. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I'm a scary person. I'm a scary looking person. Absolutely. Yes. People are not going to go out. You know, I'm going to 
I'm gonna pick a fight with the chicken in the leather pants and the green in the green snake tattoo. This will work out well. Yeah, no, nobody has that conversation with themselves. Not really. I mean, other creators, I've noticed that other women are magnets for creepers. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm always telling them, like, dude, just tell them to piss off. Can I say piss? You can. Okay. Uh, just tell them to go away. Like, you're not even having any of this crap, you know? And um, that's, I think that's hard because too many women have just been indoctrinated with, you must be nice. You must be nice. It's the cultural nice. Everybody wants to have their good girl card. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about being a POC, that is person of color, uh, is that you don't get a good girl card. You're automatically wrong all the time forever. And if you raise your voice, you're an angry brown worm, woman. So the good news about that is that you don't have to fight for a card you never had in the first place, right? So I can just do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. And I'm fine. In fact, I think I'm better off than somebody who is, you know, striving to still appear to be, you know, this upright, pious woman by somebody else's standard that, you know, isn't even her own. You know, it's, that's bogus. And I think too many women just get caught in that trap and it sucks. I feel like I went on a tangent there. No, for a no, it's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, what's your process like? Because um, you, you said that, that one of the things you like about web comics is that you can just do a page, and then when it's ready, it's out there. You can you can put it out. What is your process? How, how do you come up with a story? Do you script and then go into artwork, or do you have a more fluid, looser style of, of drawing first? Or? Oh no, I'm a former engineer. I'm very regimented. <laughs> um, I I don't start on drawing out a, uh, a a a chapter of a story until the whole chapter is written out in a script. So right now, Valkyrie Squadron chapters one and two are already written out, and I'm already m- brainstorming my ideas for chapter three. Um, and uh, once I get my script written out, then I move to doing all of the pencil rubs for the chapter, just rough images of what the layout is going to look like, figuring out framing for certain panels and whatever. So I just get to work drawing all that out. And then once I get everything all kind of roughed out, then I can just go back in and fill in with pencils and inks, because in, in the case of Valkyrie Squadron, the inks are mainly focused on character and foreground elements. The backgrounds are painted mm-hmm. because, number one, it's a lot faster to do than doing, you know, drawing out an entire background and then flatting it and then shading it. Like, seriously, dude, a couple brush strokes, we're done. <laughs> right? Like, you don't have to make this complicated. Um, but, yes, I'll, I'll just make sure that the, most of the pencils and inks are all done at the same time. And uh, then I just move on to colors where the the characters and, like I said, foreground elements are cell shaded and the background elements are painted. It gives it kind of an animated look mm-hmm. or uh, I guess a look from an animated TV series. Uh, I really like the look and, you know, it's efficient, too. It's not just, oh, because it's meant to look super pretty. No, it's meant to be fast, but also it comes out looking really cool because the foreground elements come to the forefront and the background elements kind of recede, so it gives the the imagery a bit more depth than you would n- expect on a normal comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you do everything yourself. There's, there's just you. Every aspect is, is you. Is it all you? So all the artwork is done traditionally, and then do you letter digitally, or do you hand letter? Oh, well, actually, Valkyrie Squadron is 100% digital these days. Like, I have boards from the old, from the first time around, but, like, nobody buys my boards, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't see a point in doing everything um, on natural media, mm-hmm. and um, so I just, um, I just do everything digitally because, you know, uh, working in Clip Studio Paint, it's, it's just really fast. You could set up an entire chapter, do all your roughs with the chapter, you can over, have an overview 
overview of what your entire chapter looks like and the tools and putting everything together is, is really, really solid for, for a comics creator. I, I like Clip Studio Paint a lot, although I'll take my final colors in Photoshop because I like the brushes in there better. I use Kyle Webster's brushes, especially the uh, gouache brushes that he has. Uh, you hear me use the word gouache a lot, and uh, I'm really a big fan of this. Mm -hmm. And for those of you guys who don't know what gouache is, gouache is a type of paint that is, um, it's watercolor pigment. No, 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 wait. It's watercolor medium with opaque pigment. So instead of just doing watercolors where everything is transparent and you're just layering on colors, gouache can actually act as an opaque um, medium where you can paint like white on black. You know, after a few passes of white, of course, you really got to work on that. But, um, yeah, it's it's a favorite medium of a lot of um, old school sci-fi authors, like a lot of books from probably the 50s, 60s, 70s that were all painted with gouache paints. So mm -hmm. I, I have uh, kind of taken on that look because I want to harken back to that bygone era where you'd see really neat sci-fi books on the shelves of stores and they're really cool looking and you're like, ooh, I want to read this thing. There's a crazy space alien with like laser eyeballs on this thing. This is super fun. You know, it, that kind of recalling that old school sci-fi, I think it recaptures something that we've lost. You know, the wonderment of science fiction, the new worlds that we can travel to. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of recalling the old methods, I feel like brings back that old spirit. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, although I realized that the paints that I used on my Valkyrie Squadron cover that I did recently, it was like towards the end of December, uh, I realized it's actually a gouache with acrylic uh, medium, so it's not quite proper gouache. Um, so, okay, yeah, get your pitchforks and, and torches ready. <laughs> I'm a fraud! <laughs> Why do you think that that has happened with sci-fi? Why do you think we've lost that sense of wonderment and exploration? Uh, you know, I think it's, it's sci-fi's need to be taken seriously. Because the problem with a lot of science fiction stories, especially in, in um, you know, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, they weren't taken very seriously by the mainstream public. You're just seen as, oh, well, you know, that's just some stupid story for kids or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, nerds were not part of the mainstream culture. So generally, mainstream culture left um, sci-fi alone, and people who were fans of sci-fi were just able to enjoy it in peace and quiet. But as the mainstream and as the, um, the more particular sci-fi crowd kind of melded and become, became one, the creators behind sci-fi were like, okay, well, we need to change sci-fi in order to appeal more to mainstream people. And mainstream people aren't cool with the laser-eyed aliens. I call BS on that one. I don't know why you people hate fun. But, um, you know, because sci-fi went a little more mainstream and started reaching newer audiences i think a lot of i think a few creators and a few people in charge kind of got the wrong idea of how to market this stuff to a newer wider audience mm -hmm. and that's why we lost something that made sci-fi great and that's what i'm trying to bring back to um you know elevate sci-fi back again to being this fun place of wonderment and and fun stories but for you know a newer generation and a new demographic you, you know obviously valkyrie squadron is aimed at women which is not to say dudes can't read the story and enjoy it it's still i mean it's it's space lasers what's your problem space <laughs> lasers and robots that are shaped like bugs i mean yeah, I don't a, know what part, what dude would find a problem with that. Like, oh, I don't know. No, you take your space lasers away from me. I'm going to go sit in the room and fold my hands quietly. Mm. Like, no, it's, it's fun stuff. Everybody can love it. 
but, uh, you know, showing female protagonists just kind of reaches women in a way that, you know, sci-fi generally tends to ignore. Or if they, you know, if you do see a lot of female protagonists in stories, it's somebody who, you know, their outfit has taken some kind of damage and uh, their boobs are falling out. And that's a very unfortunate situation. You know, I know what it's like to have a bra not do its job. But, uh, yeah, and women look at stories like that and they think, oh, that's not for me. That's, mm-hmm. that's meant more for guys so that they can, you know, leer at the pretty lady in the space outfit. And um, what I'm trying to say is, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. Yeah. With your animation stuff, uh, what, what's happening with that? Are you... um, nothing, really. <laughs> uh, because I'm, I don't know if you notice, I'm a bit of a busy person. Mm. I'm, I'm doing this really big crunch for Mattel. And I'm also doing, you know, my own sci-fi webcomic. I'm setting up lessons for teaching at a university. You know, I got a lot going on. So as far as animation goes, I, I haven't gotten too much done. I had thought about doing, you know, maybe like an animated trailer for Valkyrie, which mm-hmm. I'm sure I can animate. I'm sure that wouldn't be a problem. But it's really just about finding the time. The priority really is right now getting books of, you know, getting books on tables. Mm-hmm. That's my goal this year. And when I have books on tables then I can start making sales and making headway uh, further into the industry so people can see, oh, this is what Jules is all about. I mean, people have already started equating me with being a sci-fi artist. Like, I, I worked with Steve Ellis and working on a sci-fi thing. Uh, he was recommended to me by um, Janelle Sellen. You know, thanks, Janelle. Good, big ups to you, girl. You, you really helped me get work. Um, you know, and other people will come to me and they're like, well, I have an idea for a sci-fi story for you. I have an idea. Can you draw some sci-fi stuff for me? And I'm like, yes, it's working. <laughs> um, which is not to say I don't do fantasy work. Again, I'm, I'm working on a fantasy pitch right now. And, um, you know, I think when people just start seeing that, no, you're the sci-fi guy, then they start treating you like, oh, you're the sci-fi guy. Got it. Cool. I mean, I feel like I'm not even that good of a designer, but it doesn't matter because I've branded myself the sci-fi guy. And the more people see it, the more people will just get it. Oh, you got a sci-fi thing? Call Joel. She knows knows stuff. She knows things. You said you started in engineering. Yes, I did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is, again, really out of left field, right? I mean, I have the weirdest resume. Uh, I started off as, um, as an engineering student because when I was going to school in Florida, the university I was attending, it didn't offer much in the way of visual arts courses that I wanted. So I thought, you know what, let me just do something meaningful for the world, which ultimately backfired. Um, and, uh, I, I got a degree in electrical engineering and I got about halfway through that course load when I had a conversation with myself like, oh, hey, um, this little thing that we're doing with web comics, because at the time I was in school, I was drawing web comics. Like, I'd already started. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, this is just a hobby. You know, it's just a thing I do to fool around and have fun and tell stories, and it's great. But it wasn't going away. And it was getting more serious. And I was like, this is not good. I didn't think this little goofy hobby of mine was ever going to turn into a, like a bigger, bigger, badder thing in my life. So I thought, okay, well, let me just finish up this college degree. And um, because the state of Florida was paying for it, I was on the Bright Future Scholarship. And uh, I, I just got out and I thought, okay, well, let me just get out and figure out the next steps from there. And it took a while for me to actually get my career in the direction where I wanted it to go. I built up some savings. I moved to Los Angeles. I started taking classes at um, some of the local ateliers, including Nomon School, Three Kick Studio, um, you know, whoever was teaching really great stuff Mm -hmm. that I wanted to know about entertainment design and creating artwork for um, media pieces. You know, that's that's what I eventually had to do. But it took a really long time to do that. 
So um, that was hard. I would say if you are thinking of being an artist or starting off a uh, an artist storyboard career or a commercial storyboard career, um, commercial comics career, uh, just start now. Just stop kidding yourself and just start it now. Because there are a lot of people who try to talk themselves out of it who go, you know, it's just a hobby. Or other people will try to talk you out of it too. It's never going to go anywhere. You know, it's just a hobby. You don't really, this is like, you're just playing around. You know, a lot of people would tell me that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew in my heart that it wasn't going away. The beast wasn't stopping and it was just growing and getting bigger and uglier and meaner and asking me for more things. And I've learned that you actually don't know where your your comics are going to take you. Like Valkyrie Squadron got me some of my first gigs. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jeremy Whitley, he saw my work on Valkyrie. He's like, oh, hey, you want to draw a princeless story? And I was like, yeah, cool, sweet. And other people have seen my, my work on Valkyrie Squadron, at least the first round. And they're like, hey, you're a pretty capable colorist. Can you color books? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can do that. And uh, like I said, after my personal crisis, when I had to get a lot more freelance work, I was touting, hey, look, I can do colors. Look, here's examples of my work. And other, you know, smaller press publishers that I've been working with, just other, you know, independent creators, they were like, yeah, cool. I'll hire you for colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. This is going to be legit. Um, so you actually don't know where your comics are going to take you. You don't know where your ideas are going to take you. So don't let anybody talk you out of it because they can't see the forest for the trees. You know, Mm -hmm. they can't see what your end game is. You only, you know, that in your heart. And once you've got that settled out, then, you know, then your path forward, I think will be a lot clearer to you because I think a lot of creators have a hard time figuring out what is my path? What do I want to do with this? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, would you say you have a, a style or have you developed a style over time or do you feel like you've changed any any of your the, the way your art is produced and I I don't think so but other people who have seen my work they're like oh yeah that's totally your stuff yeah I like they'll see a thing I drew and they're like yep Jules drew that mm-hmm. like other people can recognize my style I don't think I can but I, I have this obviously very anime-influenced style, but I try to draw people's noses and mouths, guys, okay? I, I try to stick <laughs> to actual facial structures. Uh, Mattel would not like it if I went super-duper anime and, uh, you know, did not draw my characters on model. They would not be very happy with me. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel like I've changed in that I'm trying to, I guess, be more realistic. Like, the new, um, the new Valkyrie Squadron that I'm putting out now, I actually toned down the designs, on each of the characters because in the first round the characters had really elaborate costumes that were kind of a pain to draw mm-hmm. and now I'm like okay no we're gonna make life easy on me and just make the lot designs real clean real simple so that I can draw this thing over and over again and not get fatigued by drawing 60,000 little details or having to paint in 60,000 little picky details you know I, I had to learn how to be my own best friend and design for a longer term comic where things are gonna have to be drawn over and over and over again mm-hmm. as a designer I think that if you are doing a comic, your character designs would do well to be fairly simple. I mean, I know everybody loves to do all of these elaborate drawings, and it's very impressive when you put pencils in front of somebody and it has all these elaborate lines and whatever, but you're driving yourself crazy, man. And your colorist hates you, I promise you. (laughs) Um, So I've actually eliminated a lot of fussy line work. Uh, I used to put a lot of emphasis on my inks and now not so much because I know my colors are what sings. Mm -hmm. Like uh, to me, a page doesn't really even look done until I've colored it and then, you know, given it the atmosphere and, uh, you know, the mood and the color and the temperature and just all the fun stuff that makes a comic page come alive. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, and I feel like, you know, my, more of my emphasis in color has changed the way that I've done business. I mean, I would have never thought a few years ago, yeah, paint the backgrounds. Yeah, that's a thing you can do. Yep. Like, I don't even know why I could paint three or four years ago, you know? I, I just, uh, you know, took a few painting classes once I started studying art in Los Angeles. And I found out, oh my gosh, I can paint. It's like finding out you have a superpower you didn't know you had. So, uh, yeah, I feel like one, when you get more experience in drawing these things and making, you know, making comics, you learn what works and what doesn't work. And you start to eliminate the stuff that, in my opinion, wastes time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's me. Again, I'm a pragmatist. I'm a former engineer. I'm always looking for the most efficient solution that produces the best results. That's, that's what good comic making is about, right? Cross-section between best solution and, um, you know, good quality results that are, you know, it's efficient, but it's also pretty. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, the direction where my art style has gone. But then you look at Misfortune High, and it's kind of a different story. That, that book is not as efficient, but it has a very unique style that a lot of people, they're like, what? I've never seen this thing before. And I'm like, I know, because I invented it specifically for this book. It's really wild. Uh, it's, a ma it's a mashup of digital flatting and uh, markers on vellum. So if you actually look at the pages, you will actually see chunky marker shading on these characters. That's by design, because I wanted these this book to look like it was drawn in some kid's like notebook at school. You mm -hmm. know, I, I wanted it to have this really rough, sketchy look. Um, with uh, shows, do you do you enjoy shows? Is that some, is that a part of it that you like, or do you, are you like conventions? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, conventions are fun. I especially like conventions for the uh, networking aspect, just mm -hmm. meeting people. And I have like a zillion friends that I met at conventions. I'm pretty sure I met you at conventions, too. In fact, we've done yeah. tables before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've tabled before at uh, together at Long Beach for, uh, I don't know if it was one or two years running, but uh, yeah, yeah, like, you know, I just love being able to connect with other creators because the problem is that in, quote unquote, the real world, there are people who just don't understand what I do. They appreciate what I do. They like what I do, but they don't get it, mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like I need to surround myself with people who just get it in order to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm doing good things and I'm creating things that people can get excited about and just feel like I'm a worthwhile creator. I need to feel that connection. So that's what shows brings to me, and that's great. Also connecting with people who actually read my work or have never seen it for the first time. I mean... Most of the time when people see my work at shows, they, they've never seen it before. They're like, what is this thing? I don't know what you're doing over here. Blah. So um, so they've never seen my work. And so they're seeing this thing for the first time, and they, their eyes are open. Like, what? You mean there's a book about lady space fighters? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and there's even lasers and robot spiders and stuff. And they're like, what? That's sick. So it's always great to kind of make someone's day and show them this new cool thing they didn't know existed. And then they take it home. They're like, wee, I experienced a new fun thing, and it's really great, and these colors are fun. And and that, that, to me, I really love it. I know a lot of other creators, they're – Shows can be tricky for them because, other, I mean, you know, if your sales are low, that's depressing. And talking to people is hard for other for creators. Not me. I'm I'm one of the most weirdly extroverted artists you'll ever meet. I'm like me and Mulvey, me and Joe Mulvey. Like we're like the most extroverted <laughs> artists, which is interesting because we also make a really good art team. Like mm -hmm. I've colored over Mulvey's stuff a lot of times, and he gives me this really really cool line work that's kind of big too but kind of not it's mm -hmm. kind of big too plus i want to say because 
it kind of takes what the big two is doing with its kind of more hyper-realistic imagery and kind of makes it more cartoony and fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, this guy should be getting jobs from big two left and right. Um, he's really good. So, um, you know, he'll do the line work and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to color this like it's a big two book with a lot of kind of gradient shading and a lot of airbrushing and a lot of playing with light and stuff. But I add my stamp onto it by making it lit well and atmospheric and interesting like um just recently i reposted on facebook you know how facebook says here's a memory that mm-hmm. you did and i'm like yeah that's just some artwork i did from a while ago bro but um i just reposted uh, this pinup that i did with joe of the standard mm-hmm. which was did you work on the standard no i did um uh scamplology i didn't do standard. oh okay yeah this is uh Speaking with Comics Tribe people, Comics Tribe is a yes. publisher that's uh, that out John of... Lee's. It's about Newburyport, Massachusetts, or however the accent is. Newburyport, Massachusetts. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do the accent. I'm so sorry. I'm from the Bronx. We got a different accent. So, um, you know, it's based out in the Northeast, and uh, it's just a, a collaboration of a lot of independent creators, uh, myself included. So that's why I asked if uh, Jamie had actually uh, had done work on, um, on... Oh, geez, what were we talking about? Oh, the standard. So the standard is a book that's put out by Comics Tribe, and it's it's a really it's a really cool book. It's about an old superhero who comes out of retirement mm-hmm. to solve a mystery of disappearing children. Apparently, there's a lot of mysteries surrounding disappearing people. So you know, it's it's a good plot line to go with because people love a mystery. I mean, you work on CSI, you know, people love just going, "Hey, I'm going on a morning jog." Oh no, a corpse in a tree <laughs> on fire, and you just have to know how did this happen. How did we get here? What's going on? So, uh, yeah, that was, and I just reposted that piece on Facebook, and um, people were like, yeah, it's a really cool piece. And, you know, it was just really cool capturing its uh, character coming out of the ground. It's a throw callback to uh, a piece McFarlane did. I think it was Todd McFarlane, I think. Don't quote me on that. um, Was it the the Craven the Hunter? no, it was, um, he, it, it's of the standard. He's coming out of the dirt and the ground. It was, uh, I think it's a throwback to an old Spider-Man cover. Mm-hmm. And he's coming out of the ground because he was buried, but now he's not because he's coming out of retirement. You see, yeah. Is, is it Mike Zek? Was it a Mike Zek cover? I don't know. Gosh, I have to go back and look it over. But yeah, Joe had done kind of like an homage cover to mm-hmm. that old cover. And, um, it was, uh, or maybe it was Wolverine. Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> Last Joe, he'll know. Um, but you know, just capturing lightning and rain and, Mm -hmm. you know, lighting in those particular circumstances, that's, that was just really fun. Yeah. And in the case of the standard, because the standard is kind of more of a golden age kind of comic in terms of its look. Mm -hmm. Um, I kept the coloring actually pretty gradient free. I didn't really go nuts with brushes or anything like that. I kept it real nice and clean and straightforward. You know, that's the kind of stuff Joe and I do together. Like, we, he'll give me some line work, and I'll work to make it fit into that particular universe. If it's big, too, I'll make it look like big, too. If it's high fantasy, I'll make it look like high fantasy. Mm-hmm. If it's something that's individual to Comics Tribe, then I just make it look like some Comics Tribe stuff, you know? Yeah. Have you, have you tabled with Joe? Um, yes, at New York Comic Con, two wow. years running. Uh, we've, I've actually worked the Comic Stripe table, mm-hmm. and that's great because I have a guaranteed space at New York Comic Con. You know, the guys really love it when I show up and, you know, do my thing and make everything awesome. And, uh, I mean, you, this year I was actually one of two women at the table, so I also offer a very needed feminine presence. Although, again, I'm a scary-looking lady, so, uh, <laughs> you know, your mileage may vary on that one. But, um... 
you know, I've, I've tabled with Mulvey and, uh, you know, I think we, there's a lot of really great teamwork that happens at the mm-hmm. Comics Tribe table. We all work together to make sales. Like, if I've got, you know, one of our writers, John Lees, if I got John Lee standing next to me and I'm, pl- I'm pitching his book to somebody, I'd be like, and here is the, uh, the writer of this book. He's right here. He's ready. To, he came all the way from Scotland to sell you this book. Mm-hmm. John Lees is from Scotland and he has been reporting on the weather from Scotland and it sounds awful. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you ever you have you been to Scotland? I don't I know. I have been to Scotland. Yeah. It, it seems like it just rain. It's just cold and rainy, miserable uh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, I I don't want to upset any Scottish possible Scottish listeners, but it's um I was up there in August, um, uh, pretty far up near the Isle of Skye, and uh-huh. there was sunshine for maybe four days. And, wow. And um, uh, what happens is that the sun comes out for those four days of the year, it seems, and then. Four re- days of the whole year. Yeah, and then it reverts back to type. It's it's beautiful, but it's beautiful because it's it's not you know people don't want to be there for too long because the weather is harsh and mm. um, when I'm, the sun does come out, you get midges uh, breeding, um, which are like little gnats. Um, oh, well, that's not good. We don't like gnats. Them. So from Florida, we know we know gnats. That's oh, yeah. not good. I mean, I think Scotland is a great place. You oh know, yeah, it seems like a really awesome place. Like a lot of my favorite creators are from there, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, as far as like, you know, if we're going to talk, just to, I'm just going to touch on politics just a little bit. Scotland seems like it's got the right idea. I yeah. like Scotland's ideas. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it seems like a really cool place, but cold and rainy are things that I'm not very good at, especially yeah. in these last few days in Los Angeles. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm grateful for it because we're finally getting some water. We're finally going to get out of this drought. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, if, if someone's like, hey, let's go outside. I don't want to. It's yeah. cold and rainy and miserable. No. Yeah, it dips down into the 60s. It's uh, horrendous. <laughs> oh, I mean, I know other people are like, just the 60s? Shut up. <laughs> they hear that and they, they just can't even. So, yeah. So, so you and Joe were a winning team. Uh, with Comics Tribe, when you're, when you're tabling with them, do you have your own stuff there as well or is it purely focused on the stuff that you produce for them? Well, I haven't had my own books in a while because of all the freelance I've been working. <laughs> so, um, yes, I, I actually have kept my, uh, my Valkyrie books at the table and in fact, there have been talks about me doing a Valkyrie one-shot that'll be um, published with Comics Tribe. Mm-hmm. The script of that is done. And the refs of that are done. I just actually have just have to finish off, you know, the book. So hopefully, in the next couple of months, I can get that done because it's a really cool story, and it involves uh, John's Cairn Terrier Zach, who has since gone to the great beyond. God rest his soul. But even still, you know, it's a sci-fi book, but he still managed to put in a cute dog, and it's fun. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, and Comic Stripe has no problem with me, you know, kind of bringing my own flavor to the table. They're, mm-hmm. they're cool with it. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I don't see why not. Everybody has something to add that is going to bring something new and interesting to the table that, um, that probably wouldn't have been there without that person. You know, Joe Mulvey brings his kind of bigger-than-life, uh, big-two art. John's really good at uh, writing really interesting horror stories. Yeah. Like John's is there, like John's comics tribe's big horror guy. Although actually, John and I are working on a pitch that's actually a rom com, and it's the funniest freaking thing. Mm-hmm. You're gonna love it. Uh, I, ho- I hope this a, gets picked up. What he always has a, a line of humor through his books. Which oh is, yeah, is he great, a dark humor. That comes he's through. got a pitch black sense of humor, but yeah, he's he does have uh, a bit of funny that goes along with his stories. It's 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 and also his work on Oxymoron, Last uh, Loveliest Nightmare. Mm-hmm. That was also some pretty good stuff. I mean definitely gets dark oh especially towards the end of chapter three it's i was like you know i'm coloring over this this material that alex drew out and i was like this is for real 
we really doing this? <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> Jeez, John, you need a hug? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, who else? Like, we've got Cesar Feliciano. He kind of brings kind of a more old-school flavor because mm-hmm. he's been doing inks for... Um, big two for like 20 some odd years yeah and he's uh, working on the red 10 is that he's working things? on the red 10 i just got the email this morning that says red 10 is gonna be finishing up and mm-hmm. i was like oh this is gonna be interesting i i have been looking out to see how that that story would hash out if you guys don't know the red 10 is a story of uh, as tyler pitches it it's uh it's what he would do to the justice league if dc was crazy enough to let him mm-hmm. they will not let him but he uses a lot of Ursot superheroes to get his point across about, um, you know, um, you know, murder and craziness and betrayal. So anyway, the Red Tent is uh, the Justice League. If DC was crazy enough to let Tyler kill them all off, I kind of hope they would give him a chance. I mean, the just it's not like DC is averted to violent comics and stories. No, or Elseworld They're, stories as well, you think? Yeah, or Elseworld be... stories. So, I mean, this could be really cool, but the Red Ten already exists, so now everyone would just be like, this is just a rehash of the Red Ten. <laughs> and it kind of has a flavor of, and then there were none by Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. and a bunch of superheroes are lured onto an island by a supervillain, the Oxymoron, who is, yeah, same guy from The Loveliest Nightmare. And um, they... All these superheroes, one of them is a killer, and they have they all have to figure out who is the killer, and each superhero gets picked off with each issue. So now that they're coming on to issue 10 and wrapping up the series, I'm eager to see who actually is the big bad killer. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of mystery there, and it's it's going to be really cool. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Excellent. What was the romantic comedy? Sorry, I, I cut you off when you just started to talk. All right. Or are you uh, able ro- to mention it yet? Is, is John keeping it? Hmm, I don't know what he's allowing me to say, but I will say this much. It's um, it's loosely based on a lot of, because I would see him post on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We're friends on Facebook. I would see him post on Facebook, and he talks about how he goes swimming at a local bath mm-hmm. in, um, in his hometown. And um, he would post these hilarious little mini stories about how he almost drowned trying to talk to a girl. Or there's this pretty girl, I mean, same girl, is this pretty girl, but, you know, he just can't get up the nerve to talk to her. And it's just so funny. I was like, John, you got to make this into a, a romantic comedy. This is hilarious. So, yes, it's a swimming rom-com. Obviously, it's not exactly John's stories, but mm-hmm. it's inspired by them, and it's hilarious. And uh, hopefully, if this thing get, does get picked up, I'm going to have a few pages to showcase at Emerald City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll get to see that there. Well, no, you won't because you won't be there. But I'll, <laughs> I'll email you. It'll be great. Thank um, you. you know, a few people will be able to get to see some of the pages I'll put together for the pitch. And it's it's just going to be great. Um, it's just a really it's off the beaten path for John because for once it's not horror. And it's just a really fun kind of romantic comedy involving swimming and creepy old people and you know, awful people who run other gyms and it's, it's hilarious. It's just so funny. And it's based in Florida too. So mm. you can, you can expect me to influence the story with my own stories of Florida crazy and Florida crazy is real. I don't know why it is. It just is. You just have to accept it. That yes, this is a real thing that happens that where, you know, some reason everybody in Florida just loses their marbles. This is true. <laughs> and the animals are running amok and uh, we've got you know, gators are like everywhere. In fact, I keep forgetting that that word has four syllables instead of two. Alligator. I think I said the word gator in front of somebody here in California. They're like, what? What's that? And I'm like, alligator. God, you're killing me. 
um, you know, crazy boa constrictors, possums, just all kinds of bizarre animals just do run amok in Florida. It's it's real. It's real. Mm-hmm. But the good news is you don't have to run from a gator. They generally, if they're on ground, they generally won't chase you. Yeah. Yeah. So, because they're too lazy. They're just like, ah, you're all the way over there. And you're stupid. And you're probably not even taste good. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So you got Dinks coming up? Uh, yeah, Dink is the uh, one show I've got coming up. Mm-hmm. Then there's Denver Comic Con. I'm not confirmed for a table for WonderCon just yet. Right. I want to. I want to try out the waters with Dink and see how I feel about that first. Mm-hmm. And just again, books on table. That's that's the goal for this year. Just get books on the table so that in future shows, you know, probably later on in the, in the year or uh, you know, starting next year, I will be able to just have more books on tables and mm-hmm. people can see that I've got a lot of form- forward momentum and I'm creating new stories and doing cool new stuff all the time that's the goal excellent and uh, if people want to see your stuff where can they go okay well you can e- you can go to joelsrivera.com that's just my artist portfolio site you can go to www.valkyriesquadron.com or um yeah actually those two will cover you pretty well you've also got the instagram account Jules Rivera Art. you can find me on facebook Art. Uh, and especially active on Twitter at Jules Rivera. I got I got my name on Twitter. It was, it was a pretty pretty cool thing because I got in I got in early enough so that I could actually just get my name, and yeah. I'm very proud of that. Nice. Couldn't do the same thing on Instagram. Uh, I have a Snapchat. I also don't use very much, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but yes, I'm a very easy person to get a hold of on the internet. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you for coming in again, Jules. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Jamie. That's it for the show. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at whoiampodcast at gmail.com or phone at 818-308-4066. We're on iTunes if you want to subscribe there. And if you feel inclined, please leave a rating. And if you have any interest in being a guest on the show, we have a contact form on the website, which is at whoiampodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.